Hi, Beck. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, I'm sitting in Falls Creek in Australia at the moment, and it's been snowing Excellent. overnight, but the sun's shining today. Beautiful. Well, I'm sitting in Portland, Oregon, um, and uh, it's raining so past today. End of summer. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, we've got some mutual friends like you and I have never met, but it feels like we have because our friends... It definitely does feel like we have met. <laughs> uh, Lucy Keats from Port Adelaide. She's got a hemp uh -huh. store. Yeah. A really nice hemp store. Yeah, which I've I've never seen. I've only ever met Lucy in other states. Right, okay. <laughs> um, Megan from Cocoon. Megan, yes. I did a podcast yes. with her recently. She's the best. I adore her. She is the best. And also yeah. um, um, Sarah Lord. Sarah, uh-huh. She's, oh, she's a mad woman. Amazing. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they were wonderful. I love them all. She floated uh, twice a week with us for a year. Yeah? Oh, I mean, yeah, she's... <laughs> She's a professional floater. She is. I haven't That's heard sure. from her for a while, but maybe she'll be listening. She'll be interested. Yeah, it'd be wonderful. So what actually got you into floating? Um, I randomly came across it one day um, on, on Facebook many years ago. Um, and I was at the time, um, caring for my former partner, Michael, um, who was a wonderful man. Uh, and he served in Afghanistan, um, came home with very severe, uh, trauma, uh, and yeah, so I was sort of at this time, like sort of many years into, you know, him having come home and, you know, going through all the treatment, um, you know, I was just sitting one day on, on Facebook and came and, you know, was scrolling through and I saw this like weird looking pod thing and I was like, you know, started reading about it and funnily enough, it actually was like Joe Rogan. So it was like early days of Joe Rogan talking about floating and it just like for me just was a, like as soon as I started Googling it, just like, open it was like a light bulb for me and I was yeah. like this is something that Michael needs I need to I need to find a tank for Michael and I need to stick him in one <laughs> yeah, right. and so that's kind of started my journey on to like you know just researching everything I could about floating and um yeah finding one for Michael and it just immediately it just changed our lives. So we're talking PTSD? Yeah. 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 And you found that As uh, well as as well as like, you know, you know, you, you can't be in the military and or be an infantryman and, and, and not and not have um just like body trauma as well, like just physical injuries, just you know, head head to toe. Yeah. So we were also dealing with, you know, constant pain and yeah a whole a whole lot of 
different things, but trauma, like PTSD was absolutely the thing that was affecting our lives the most. Um, certainly not just, just his, um, so you certainly, found, certainly mine. So you found that from floating it helped him? Yes, absolutely. Um, his very first time and we went, um, we went to, uh, Brisbane float and massage, uh, uh, the guy who owned that was John Battersby, um, who became a very, very close friend of ours. Um, and he really supported us um, in our quest for finding more information. And like, and he was so intrigued by he'd never had someone who even had who had PTSD. Had never had floated anyone who had certainly come to him with that. Um, and so he was equally as intrigued as what, as what I was um, as, as to how it would affect Michael. And his very first time in the tank, he came out, he looked a completely different person. Yeah. Um, his, his, like, years had been taken off him. Um, and and he, he was just like, I just, I felt like I just... I finally slept like I finally since like, and this is uh, probably maybe four years after he got back from Afghanistan was when he floated for the first time. Um, and he was like, he, he, you know, he was saying like, this is like, I feel like it's the first time I've slept since, you know, the, the trauma happened, you know, he just, he just felt refreshed and just, yeah, and so we obviously continued, <laughs> and we were going like two or three times a week. Um, I think anyone that's ever floated can identify with what you're saying. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, um, the very first time that he floated, um, you know, John and I had spoken multiple times beforehand, and he was just like, "I just don't." Because I've never, I've never had someone like this. I just don't know how they're going to react. And yeah, you know, very we're super cautious. We just didn't know. And I, and I know that seems really silly now. Like, but you know, it was. Um, I was trying so hard not to. Um, you know, the treatment that Michael was on, the conventional treatment, was like just so damaging to him and, and even more traumatizing to him. So basically I was out to try and find things that were going to be highly beneficial. And I didn't, I didn't ever want to sort of put him in a situation that could have traumatized him further, you know? Um, so, you know, John and I sort of spoke and he was like, look, you can't float the first time you have to sit, you know, either in the room or outside directly outside the room in case anything happens. And if he freaks out and if he needs support or, you know, so, that's what I did. And um, then, you know, he, when he came out and he was like, that was the best. And I just loved it so much. And um, I bet I like, you couldn't believe it. Like, yeah, I couldn't. I, I cried. I just thought it was just, it was just amazing. I just, yeah. I, like, I, I don't, I don't like saying like, you know, you know, because Michael did have one of those sort of experiences where like the very first time that he floated, it was it, it did change. It changed. It changed the course of like his entire treatment, and and therefore at the time our lives, you know, and you know, so it it was that powerful for us, you know, and it did sort of really change change our lives greatly. Um, 
so yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I was just, I was like, I just, I need to go in now, <laughs> like, you know, and, and so not only was it really beneficial for Michael, um, over, you know, again, not immediately. It was, you know, he had a really great float the first time, but he then continued to float because there is no such thing as just floating ones and like everything's fixed, you know, you don't ever have to float again. You know, it's, it's like a yoga practice, you know, it's an, or meditation practice It's ongoing. Um, and, but after I floated and I started sort of, I, I got all of my own benefits and started, was, was able to start the journey of my own self-care. Yeah, okay. Which, you know, as a caregiver, <laughs> like, I, I, I didn't I didn't have... I, I, the, well, I was about to they, say yeah. that a lot of times in the case of PTSD or the mental illness, the carer is forgotten about. And um, yeah. we, we, we don't notice that they're suffering just as yeah. badly, if not worse. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I would... I would almost say that for like just military families, um, the partners of those who who do have trauma or, or PTSD or any of the you know um, conditions there, like yes, the, the families sort of just get completely forgotten about. Um, but there was like no information about it. Like just there was there were very few float centers. There was very few like there was certainly no John. Uh, um, uh, Justin yeah. Feinstein's in the world, like, you know, um, and it, it was the early days of Joe Rogan, like talking about it. So, um, you know, I, I was looking at, uh, things like, like what the, the research that Thomas Fine had done and, um, John Turner and a, like super, super like stuff that had been done in like the sixties and seventies type thing. Um, and obviously John Battersby was able to help put me in touch with, like he actually put me in touch with these people. So um, Michael and I just got to a point, I think it was around 2015 um, when we just, we decided to go to the U S and, you know, go around the U S and meet with um, doctors, researchers, um, things like like people like that who were in the in the like studying in the fields of like floating cannabis nutrition yoga all the things that like Michael and I had actually recognized and were incorporating into our lifestyle and seeing how beneficial that they all were so all these different modalities we were going out and we wanted to like meet with these people and sit down with them and That's have an the conversations ask the questions to head out that, of like, Australia and do that <laughs> It really was, um, but we were really on a mission to try and like have these modalities recognized as as treatment, as as, a, mm. as forms of treatment. We wanted what what we saw um, as soon as Michael came back from Afghanistan, and he like he was immediately medicated. He was immediately told that you know like here's your psychiatrist. You know, you need you need to go see this person, and then he immediately put him onto all the medications, and they started like exposure therapy and, um, like which is not which is not benefit. Like he he didn't find any benefits, I should say, you know. But that's all they could offer him, like yeah. 
uh, CBT, exposure therapy, and an enormous like array of medications. Um, and we didn't find that any of them helped. In fact, they all made things drastically worse. Yeah. And so... But that's what the governments know, want you on. When we were finding that... Exactly. That's exactly... They want you to be, like, to sit down, shut up, not say anything, and be numb, feel nothing. The, um, the Australian government and, has just gone through the process of um, taking away rebates for nearly all alternate therapies yeah yeah which uh <laughs> so i'm sure that you can understand like how far we got like i mean the when i was going you know i was I was going to politicians and i was talking to politicians about all these modalities that we were finding that were helping michael we were talking to doctors um we were going to uh, the defense um and just base kind of just being laughed at, I suppose, or being like, Oh yeah, that's nice. Kind of being patted on the head. It's that's never going nice. to work. Good work guys. That's, that's never going to work. Yeah. Turning around and being like, that's never going to work. Yeah. You know, um, there's no evidence. There's none of it, you know? Um, but, and so that's, that's why we were really committed. We wanted to sit down with these professional people, the researchers, the doctors in America who, who did, who did know what they were talking about. You know, and um, so yeah, that that we and we wanted to come back with that information so we could continue to share it. Um, and yeah, so that yeah, it was a big commitment, but it was also an amazing journey that we had. <laughs> it would have been even just for touring America would have been awesome. It was great. We had we spent six weeks here on a very very serious budget, but um, you know we could literally every person. Every professional, every doctor that we reached out to got back to us and was like just like completely surprised by the fact that, you know, we even wanted to meet with them, you know, but they welcomed us into their homes, into their workplaces and showed us all around and really like they were just so accommodating to us. So are you, um, are you saying that in America the people... that um, the doctors and the health professionals were more liberal than the Australians? I mean, I, I definitely, I, I don't know if I'd necessarily go that far. I mean, these, these doctors um, and researchers um, were people who were, I mean, committed to say floating, you know, like they were certainly still out of the realm of like what is considered, you know, medicine. And well, I mean, I was even meeting with, researchers so they well and truly like they were fight they they were really viewed as being you know bad people so you know but i don't yeah i don't know that just the group of people um we were seeing definitely were open, more, far more open-minded and well and truly on our on our page and were massive like in massive support of what we were doing and how we were treating him how we were treating michael um but I now have living in the U.S. now. I mean, I feel like there's um, we still have the same the same issues here as what we do in Australia. Yeah, I guess right. that's what I'm saying with with the doctors still being well and truly behind the times, you know. 
um, certainly tre- like the doctors who are on the front line using conventional medicine, like treating in the hospitals and stuff, are still well behind the times. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know what's going on there. They're uh, desperate for to hang on to that. I never know what it is. The, the pharmaceuticals. Yeah, that's right. There's so much money in them, you know, and uh, like – yeah, certainly when it comes to cannabis, like, you know, like, you, you know, so I, cannabis is a huge part of my life. It's the whole reason why I moved here to Portland is so that I could um, get into the legal cannabis industry. Um, and, yeah, it's it's pretty liberal here in Portland, but there's still states here who, like, you know, completely illegal and uh, you know i mean even here in in oregon we still have people locked up in you know in in state prisons for for cannabis offenses yet here i am selling it like legally it doesn't make any (laughs) sense you know over the counter at a dispensary when when you watch all that from australia it makes no sense yep yeah it's crazy and the other interesting part for me being australian and watch how it's going there like, yeah, just for me to see how the cannabis industry is going in Australia, I mean, that's heartbreaking for me. It's like I, I, I can't I, I can't have anything to do with it. It's yeah. too, it's they, they want it to become very pharmaceuticalized and that's that's just not possible with cannabis. So what are you saying there that from the legalization point of view, you could only buy um, a government cannabis? Is that right? Um, yeah, or it has to be, you know, like, you know, approved by the state or by, you know, certain, you know, um, uh, agencies and things like that in order for you to, you, you to get cannabis. And even then it's very expensive. It has to be from very specific, um, uh, licensed operators. Um, and it's so strict, like the quality of that is terrible because like, they're not considering, you know, cannabis to be as diverse as what, what it actually is. They're just trying to really make it like it's THC and it's CBD. Um, and so therefore, for then the product you're getting is either like a high CBD, low THC, which is because they're still trying to demonize THC as being bad. Yeah. It's not bad. It's, it's medicine. Yeah. It, you know, I don't, and so, I know, don't understand I am, it. And I'm sad Oregon, to hear that Portland. because I thought Australia was heading the way America is. No, no, they actually, they don't want to become anything like what America is. All right. Wow. That's pretty disappointing. Yeah. Because, yeah, it really is. Like, you know, if they were heading anywhere like what America is, I'd have dispensaries. And you'd be able, and anybody who is sick and has a medical card should be able to go to a dispensary and should be able to buy any product. And they should be able to use that product in any way they want to. Mm. But at the moment, you know, um, you you have if you if you can even get flower product like the the actual bud, um, the only way that you are legally allowed to smoke that, even though you're a medical patient, oh, I shouldn't say it, the only way that you're legally allowed to use that as a as a legal patient is by vaporizing it. Okay. You can't, like, and I know that anyone could go home and smoke that. I, I totally get that. But 
legally, they're saying the only way that you can consume that is through a vaporizer. You can't go home and roll that into a joint or put that into a bong or whatever and, and smoke that. Now, that's to me, that that's medicine. And we're talking about something that grows yeah. naturally on the Smoking earth. Smoking is still medicine. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah, sorry. We're making that illegal. It's the craziest thing, you mm. know. Yeah. And yet, you know, here's Tasmania, you know, with the biggest grow operation of poppies in virtually like the entire world or something, you know. And yet we are trying to demonize and still regulate and heavily regulate cannabis, which has never killed or like caused a, a, a human death ever. So you don't have to scratch the surface much to figure out that the pharmaceutical companies are, are behind selling their product versus having something that's natural. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that here, like in Australia, they are still so regulated and, and, and there's, you know, everyone wants CBD. CBD is such a big conversation. Everyone's like, oh, CBD, it's so good because it's non-psychoactive and it doesn't get you high and that's the medicine. Well, one thing that I was interested in, like going slightly off topic a bit, is ha- have they mm-hmm. in America have they um, changed the way they test for um, whether you're uh, affected by marijuana for from the purpose of working or driving? Great. Qu- yeah, that's a really great question. So they're actually, from my knowledge, they're. The only way that a police officer can test or, um, you know, think that you're under the influence is by smelling it, visually seeing it, or testing you to see if, like, you're impaired, you know, and asking you questions. There's, there is no test. There is no um, roadside drug test that any that – any, um, police department that I'm aware of in any state is doing. Yeah, yeah. right. Because the tests are so unreliable. That's why it's only, I'm pretty sure Australia and New Zealand, I'm pretty sure are the only countries that actually use those roadside drug tests. Yeah, the trouble is, like with because alcohol, it's so unreliable. It's, yeah, alcohol's out of your system within, say, 24 hours because obviously your body doesn't want it because it's poison. And so that you can test. Yep. To see if someone is under the influence or is is uh, impaired, whereas something like yep. um, THC, if you are a frequent user, can be in your system for a month. But you're Absolutely. you're clearly not impaired, but you're going to jail, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that to me, that's, that's I mean, absolutely right. You know, let let's legalize it worldwide, but unless you get testing it uh, right. Then there's no point because yeah, that's no, right. no one will be able to have it. Yes. Yeah, which is why I believe that those tests that we have in Australia are like pointless. Yeah. We shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. We should be putting all of that money solely into testing people for drink driving because I would much prefer to not have drink drivers on the road because they are really dangerous and even and they the problem. With cannabis, there's now so, so much research going on to, into cannabis as we speak. 
But because it takes so long for all of this research to actually then like, you know, get out into public knowledge and, you know, for it to surface and, you know, you know, there's also the governments who are still trying to suppress the stuff, the good stuff. Um, you know, there, there is research going on into, into driving under the influence of cannabis. The results are coming back that it's usually pretty positive. There, you, you don't get that with alcohol, you know? So, um, the only issue they're really finding is actually that I'm aware of from what I'm hearing and seeing when I'm going to conferences and talking to different researchers and things like that is people who are brand new to, to using cannabis shouldn't be driving under the influence of cannabis, yeah. which is obvious, you know, mm. um, but people who are, do you know, have, do you know the most dangerous driver is a tired driver? Absolutely. The, 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 absolutely, the, yeah. the person having a micro sleep doesn't even apply their brake. At least a drunk person tries to brake. Oh, that, yeah, that is completely true. And yeah. you can't test for fatigue. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, everyone yeah. on the planet is fatigued at the moment. Absolutely, which is why you all need to float, right? Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly right. It's a really interesting topic. And uh, the other part to it is that, you know, you could be a, a professional person in any field and you can go out and you can get absolutely shickered like really really drunk with your mates and you'll high five each other but you can turn up for work the next day but don't smoke weed because you're a criminal yep yep and you know what's really funny i that i that i see is like in the legal market in australia currently um you know i i I'm looking, I'm seeing what, what jobs they've got available that's going on. And I see ones for like literally just harvesting, harvesting cannabis on a, on a farm. They want people who, um, who, who have international, or sorry, who have legal growing experience, which you're not finding in Australia because it's never been legal. Um, and they also want to test test these people for uh, or regularly for uh, like drug and police screenings okay so why why would these people who want to who, who are working on these farms who are meant to be these professional people like who who can grow this cannabis but they don't they, they don't use it and they've got to have some kind of international sorry some sort of legal experience that clearly tells me that they only want to employ someone who is from like is international, you know, who has come from the likes of Israel or the States or Canada or places who have had some kind of a, like a legal system for, or for a while, because there's no one, like how many people have been legally growing in Australia when we haven't had a legal system? Yeah. So what would and be And how your... many of these people, like why, why the hell do you want to get tested for drugs? Like for cannabis when you work with cannabis? Yeah. It's crazy. Hmm. Makes no sense. Just doesn't make any. It makes no sense. So, what so would like, be well, your advice to someone in Australia? I'm not going to work in cannabis in Australia. <laughs> well, I guess that's why you're in America. But what would be your advice to that's someone in needing America. medicine in Australia? How do they get it? Grow your own, or find somebody who can, and do it yourself. And I. 
I am well aware of the fact that not everyone is in a position to grow their own, whether it be because of their like their illness, they're you know I, unable to, they don't live somewhere where they can. That's where I say find somebody who then can that you trust. You know, it could be a family member who is maybe in a position that where they own their own house or you know whatever. You know, you can do it without letting with you know without letting people know that you grow cannabis. Um, I know that it sucks to have to keep a secret like that. It's not it's not fun, um, which is also why I'm a I'm a huge advocate for saying like go out and then tell your local politician, your local councillor or whatever that you're doing it and why you're doing it, who you're doing it for mm. and how it's helping you. You've got to tell them. The only way that like the only way that change happens within the system and I fucking hate the fucking system. I hate it so much. It is <laughs> so unfair. Way too many people have died as a result of these have not only died but have ended up in jail have been deemed as criminals have been taken through the courts have been traumatized by the system you know because of for, for nothing so we have to change it from from within the system you have to tell your politicians mm. so for you it just became too frustrating to to continue in Australia and that's why you've moved to America? Um, I mean, that, that definitely is a big, a big part of it. Um, I certainly wasn't quiet about the fact that, that we um, grew cannabis and that we distributed it as well. Um, I, you know, I, I, I had to. I had to. I know too many veterans who who needed it, and so I so I took it into my own hands and and made sure that those who I who I knew needed it got it. And so that's why I became like so politically involved with cannabis, you know, in Australia. And I did speak to many many politicians, and I went to Canberra many times. I even got cannabis into Parliament House. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and gave it to one of those politicians that I met with um, who was very happy to receive it. Um, but, you know, that person is also not doing anything to help cannabis get through the system. Yeah. So it's really disappointing. It's... I've had a lot of promises and uh, certainly zero, zero uh, action on them. I thought that you were going to tell me some good things today about what's going on in Australia. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm really not a big I, – I can't, I can't support the system at all there. It used to be it's in Australia that you could buy um, CBD over the internet and then they stopped it. Yeah. Um not really sure where they're at with that. Like, uh, I mean, I'm, I know plenty of people who can get CBD in Australia, but I'm not really sure if they're buying it like, legally or Ill illegally. I'm not really sure what the deal is because I know that you can, you know, you can, you can get cannabis products legally. Um, it just depends as to, as to whether or not you want to go through the system. Yeah, that's right. Or and, not, and, and pay the amount of money you do. And it might not be of a, uh, 
good enough strength to be able to help you. Absolutely. Yeah. I wonder how many people yep. in Australia are Which is uh, like, consuming CBD thinking it's helping them, but it's just not strong enough to do anything anyway. Oh, God. It terrifies me. Truly, it does. Um, you know, because it, like, that's a problem that we have here, that, I'm, that I see here in Oregon, a legal state, you know, because cannabis is federal, oh, sorry, CBD is federally legal here. You know, you can import cannabis, oh, sorry, CBD, <laughs> CBD products, you know, all over the states. Um, and so you can walk into a New Seasons, a Whole Foods, a, you know, a 7-Eleven type store or, you know, little like corner shops like that as well as you big health food sort of stores um, and buy CBD products. But these aren't regulated they haven't been tested to, you know, so they might say, oh, it's a thousand milligrams, but for that, um, you know, so there, there are many things wrong with the CBD industry um, that's happening and which is why then I always say, like, if someone wants a CBD product, you have to come to a, a dispensary where every product that comes into the dispensary does have to be um, tested. And you do know, like the levels of the of the CBD that's that's in each product, um, and where it's come from, you know. But there's still a whole lot of miseducation going on around there because CBD is such a buzzword, you know. But that's not the medicine. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting point, and you, I think you've talked a bit about that before, and I I missed the point on it. Is that the CBD? is not all that it's cracked up to be, is that right? No, no, not at all. So you've, you've um, basically separated out all a lot of the goodness out of this uh, plant medicine. Yeah, And just gone here, have CBD, and you won't get done, high, you'll be legal, right. Legally, yep, so legally the, the government has just like basically, you know, so cannabis, um, you know, was scheduled as, I don't know, whatever it was, in Australia, I get confused because it's completely opposite to how it's scheduled in America. Um, you know, but it, it was scheduled as at a you know at the highest level. Um, but then instead of you know rescheduling cannabis as a whole, they've then just rescheduled the one of the cannabinoids that makes up cannabis, that makes up the whole plant. That's you know they've just rescheduled the one cannabinoid, and that's CBD. Right. And there's still, you know, th that's why THC, if you want to get a THC product, you still have to go through like all the loopholes and, you know, you know pay ridiculous. I mean, you're still paying ridiculous amounts for a CBD oil, but um, I mean, you can, yeah, it's, it's just such a crazy system. And they just, it's because they just don't understand the plant. Um, they don't want to understand the plant because obviously, you know, it has major implications for pharmaceutical and certainly the, the opium industry in Australia. Um, and yeah, so it's, I don't know if it's ever going to necessarily be accepted in Australia. Wow. I wish I'd never called you. I mean, one day it will be, but I think it's, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I mean, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is just my this is just my opinion. <laughs> no, you're, you're 
<laughs> You're right in the best spot to know, I think. Yeah. Um, I just really wish that um, – and, and you know what? There's a really great documentary that's actually going to be coming out, hopefully, you know, within the next 12 months, and it's with Pete Evans. Um, and I think he's also recently done a, a, a Sunday night episode, um, you know, on cannabis um, where he was in the States. Um, and, he, and he does – and he will be showing, you know, just you know, how, how the different states here are doing it and what – cannabis is and how people should be using it and um you know how you can even make your own products using you know cannabis that you've grown in your backyard or that you've you know just bought and you know the raw the raw flower um you know and and showing the difference of like how i guess how they're doing it in australia and how they are trying to like really like just hold on to it and like so badly to make to make sure that it's, you know, it goes through the medical system and, like, and the pharmaceutical system sort of thing. But it's just not how cannabis should be. Yeah. You so- should be able to smell that. Like I have customers that come in and they'll sort of tell me how they how they want to feel or what they're treating or and you know, I've got, I don't know, maybe twenty jars of raw flour you know and i can and i bring them all out and i take all the lids off and i let them smell it all they get it right on the, in their face and they get to look at it they don't touch it they're not allowed to touch it um but they can actually look at it and you know sort of see what it, see what it looks like like i mean you can look at cannabis and you mean like oh that looks disgusting i'm not smoking that just all stick and twigs and nothing to it you know but when you see beautiful quality cannabis like you know the difference and you can smell the difference mm. um, and you should never smoke something that you don't like the smell of. And so that like you, you know what you should be smoking by, by your nose because you'll smell and be like, yes, that's what I want. Your body will tell you. So you're making products over there. Yes. Tell us about that. I am. I mean, I still like, I, I basically make the same products that I was making in Australia and um, and I still just like continue to give them away as, as I do. Um, I, I make pessaries and suppositories. Um, that's predominantly what I make. That's, that seems to be the thing that people mostly want, to be honest. Yep. And funnily enough, it is the thing that is least on the market in like almost anywhere really. You know, um, but in terms of medicine, that's some real medicine. Like that, suppositories are a very, uh, an amazing way to receive medicine. Like, you know, if, if, if you're treating certain conditions. Um, and yeah, certainly, you know, for pessaries, um, for women, it's, for me, it's been the most amazing <laughs> thing I've ever, I've ever used in terms, like for pain and, sort of helping me uh, manage that pain that I get. Um, Are you talking about menstrual so, pain? Menstrual pain, yes, absolutely, yep. Yep. yeah. Uh, um, and as well as endometriosis, um, and I have a lot of, I mean, and endometriosis has been something that has just skyrocketed over the last, I would say, 15 years or something. Um, I... I can't tell you how many women, 
you know, tell me that they have endometriosis and they've been diagnosed with it. Um, it is a really tricky one because um, you do have to be like surgically sort of di- like have, have to have like a surgical procedure to be diagnosed. Um, uh, but yeah, I have many, many women coming to me with with like endometriosis and um, telling me about the pain that they experience. Um, and, you know, I also like to teach women how to make their own because they're super easy to do that. So I've made, I've taught many women how to do, how to do it themselves because why not? I mean, it should, it, like you should be empowered to, to heal yourself and to make yourself better, not only yourself, but your loved ones as well. So I, I think, teaching people how to make medicine is just as important as making it myself and giving it to people. Yeah. I'd much prefer to empower somebody. I think there's a lot of people listening and I'm one of them prior to chatting to you that maybe not know what a pessary is. Oh, of course. Here I am just going on a, you know, it's so natural for me. Um, a pessary is exactly what, like, the same as a suppository, um, a, su- a suppository goes anally and a pessary goes uh, like vaginally. So um, it's, you know, just sits on up there and takes all your pain away and is, yeah, just really amazing. Um, the funny thing is, is that there's actually also like, there's not a great deal of um, like research on cannabis suppositories and pessaries. Um, and I've actually just spent the last two days at a cannabis, like the cannabis science conference here in Portland, um, where some of the world's leading, you know, cannabis doctors were all talking there, you know, taking the stage. Um, and there's like, and they were all talking about pessaries and, oh, sorry, more so suppositories because pessaries are still like kind of under the radar a little, even though they're exact same thing. Um, but certainly from the response that I've received, um, from women, pessaries are extremely helpful for any kind of, you know, um, pain, like menstrual pain or, you know, yeah, any, anything like that, anything to do with your reproductive system down there. It's just, yeah, I have so much feedback just saying how much benefit they've received from it and how they've stopped completely like using you know, all the over-the-counter kinds of medications that they would take, which ultimately is just helping all these ladies, like, not develop liver problems over many years, you know, because we shouldn't be encouraged to take those kinds of medications Mm, every single month for, I know, several days every month. You know, that's crazy. Yeah. I I did a bit of research on it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the THC in the pessary bypasses the liver so you don't get high is that correct it, yeah exactly exactly yes um so yeah you can you can experience and obviously the same for a, a suppository um yep. you can get all the benefits of the pain relief without having to actually experience or feel you know being like un, being under the influenced i wonder mm, if um yeah. from a workplace or a driving point of view if you were tested, you'd be positive, even no. though you're not high. No. Okay. Nope. Doesn't. Sh- nope. Won't show. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Which is why I was making them for veterans in Australia, and I had a, 
I had a few veterans who were using them as as suppositories for their pain. Um, veterans who had been like guys who had been shot in like in their service um, and would experience crippling um, pain that would put them in hospital um, for for days on end because of the pain, like they wouldn't be able to stand or walk or do anything. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I'd start giving them suppositories and they were able to, you know, function, function, get through the, like go to work, not be scared about um, being pulled over because they, some of these guys also lived in areas that um, ha- had a lot of police presence on the road um, and would quite often drug test. Um, and so they were really concerned about using cannabis. But, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I think, I don't know if you've heard of her, but there's a doctor in Portland. She calls herself the backdoor doctor or something. She swears by huh. suppositories. Really? Yeah, she's I had come like across a female. Yeah, yeah. Massive success with um, all sorts of ailments. Amazing. I'm pretty sure she's in Portland. Excellent. Well, I'll have to find her and reach out to her. It's yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, it's all a, all a very interesting conversation, isn't it? It really is, yeah. Um, and I, I often um, like when I talk about. I'm, I'm very open with talking about suppositories and pessaries, and I mean, I, I kind of feel like certainly where I am, and you know, in Portland, you know, we're very open to cannabis for one, but also just you know, super liberal, super open to almost you know everything. Um, you know, people are kind of open to this idea of 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 pessaries and suppositories like that whole idea it's you know it's not so much of an awkward conversation now um but again that's just where i am i guess probably right where i am and the, 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 the people who i'm conversing with as well you know um but i certainly a couple of years ago i'd certainly received so much more pushback on how gross it would be or that I'm never using that. I would never do that kind of thing. So, you know, times are changing. (laughs) Well, there's, there's, um, you know, when you're talking about that sort of conversation, um, you know, there's a lot of women that are using like, um, moon cups and things like that, but still, still there's lots going, no way that's gross. I'm not doing it. Oh, absolutely. Um, I actually recently saw, um, that there was a whole lot of, backlash in Australia about um, one of the brands putting out this ad, you know, actually showing blood, like, oh, my God, how dare they? Um, And, I mean, it's so sad to see how many, like, women are pushing back on that, Yeah, you know, and saying how gross that is. And it's like, are you you crazy? This is the most natural, most natural thing in the world. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was totally totally in that frame of mind you know only four years ago i was like oh period blood gross you know this is terrible i hate that i have my period it's the worst thing ever yeah until i actually sort of started to like really learn and understand and you know like understand my cycle and um uh 
stop using all of the uh i mean maybe this was maybe five years ago because i was i had a i was using a marina so i just didn't even have a period for like 10 years wow. so i had no concept of even what what my cycle entailed like what would happen and when i had that removed then all of a sudden i was like okay well looks like i'm gonna start learning and so i was like 27 when i learned or 27 or 28 when i learned for the first time like how my cycle was really starting to like work and how it affected me and um you know so man i I love to bleed now. It's the, one of the most beautiful things ever. I just, I am like, and yes, it affects me heavily every single month. Um, I, and like the whole, the hormones affect me crazily. I get incredibly emotional. Um, but I also can't help but feel, um, just like the beauty and like the, just how how amazing it is that I that I get to do that every month and that I I can get so in touch like I I can almost see and understand how healthy I've been or how maybe unhealthy I've been throughout the month just based on my symptoms that come up you know prior to my cycle you know like I can or and how stressed I've been, because that all affects it as well. Yeah. You know, so by being able to chart all of those things has made me become like so much more intuitive. Um, I've, you know, and I and I understand my how my body works now, um, and that's that's been the the greatest gift ever. And so by having that, my cycle come helps me actually be in tune with myself and and check in every month with how I'm going and how I'm feeling and things like that. So that's, that's the most beautiful thing ever. I love that. Mm, amazing. I wish more women could really feel yeah. that. Yeah. You know, instead I of feeling too. just how gross and, and how much of an inconvenience it is, mm. you know? Um, and I've also been incredibly grateful to have had partners who have really um, encouraged, encouraged that in me as yeah. well, you know, encouraged yeah. me to learn um, and have and and have gone along on the journey with me to learn about it as well. Yeah. So, you know, I've been I've been very grateful for that. Do you find the pessary helps balance you hormonally? I wish. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I I haven't I haven't really found that. But that's not to say that cannabis like I use cannabis heavily for my menstrual cycle and. Again, I, I I don't know if that's affecting me hormonally. I, I like, but it certainly helps the symptoms that I that I the symptom relief. Yeah. Um. And so to me, that's everything. That that, you know, that's really important to me. I wonder if there's um, women listening that are thinking, wonder where I get some of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a tough one. Yeah. I hate that question. Don't yeah. ask me that question, Ant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I kind of predicted that would be how you'd respond. Yeah. yeah. Um I mean I, I get that question even here in a legal state. Um, you know, how 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 can I get this back to my grandmother who lives in, you know, Texas or whatever, you know, wherever it is and uh, it's like you, you, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. 
Mm. And, and, um, yeah, I don't know. That, that's probably my best advice is that like, you know, yeah, if, if it's that important to you and, and I feel like, you know, certainly for me it was, and it, and it is, I, I, I would do whatever, it, whatever it took. Well, you're living in Portland. Yes. But I was living in, in Australia where it was illegal and I openly broke the law for more than one person. Good on you. Which is why, I, which is why, well, that's, that's funny. That's, that's totally not what I want actually. Like the thing that I wanted more from me doing that and breaking the law and me giving people medicine for free what I wanted, um, the response to more B was, wow, this is helping me so much. I need to do this too. I need to start breaking the law and start my, building my own community of people that I serve. Yeah. And unfortunately, way too many people are scared and they will take advantage of you. Yeah. And, and that that was a big reason why I was like, I, I can't, I can't keep doing this in Australia because I am putting my safety and the safety of Michael and the person who I love the most on the line for people who are not willing to break the law for themselves or anyone else. Yeah, right. That's a great point. And I feel, and I know from the responses that I got from people who use that medicine, it was life-changing for them. And if it's life-changing for you, like, what are you doing? You know, when you know better, you do better. So why aren't you putting seeds in the damn ground and growing your own, you know, making your own medicine and going to your local politicians and telling your local politicians that you, you're doing this and how many people you're serving and why you're serving and what it's all for. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. You, yeah, there just comes a time when you just can't keep can't keep doing it. You know? And I and I have friends, like people who are in the medical cannabis community who are still going through the legal process of and finding jail time because she was a, a, a medicine maker as well and a healer who who served far more people than even than what what I did um, and you know she she's still fighting jail time yeah well medicine makers like this have been uh, burnt at the stake for centuries Absolutely, they have. And it's women and it's still have been for many in a years. Different way. Mm. Absol- absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And there, like, there is a for me personally, because like, I feel like such a close connection to cannabis. Like, as a woman, I feel like cannabis and women, it, 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 it goes. It's connected, and you know. So, for me, when I'm when I'm working with cannabis, like cannabis should be, you should be like when you're making medicine, you should be feeling that with your hands, you know, um, 
and, and which is why I then have a big problem here with the legal system here in Oregon and in the US where like, you know, cannabis is being grown in like areas the size of football fields, like giant warehouses type thing, you know, these plants are not being looked at, touched, you know. They're meant to be uh, outside the in the sun. Of them is, well, I mean, even that that's amazing and that's brilliant. Certainly here in Oregon, we can't do that year round. <laughs> um, and I'm all for growing indoors or with supplemented light and things like that because, I mean, you can grow amazing quality cannabis in organic soil indoors. You know, you can do that but it needs to be on a much smaller scale um, because cannabis takes time um, and, and, and it happens, but it happens very quickly, but it, you know, it, it takes, it's several month process from, from seed or clone to, you know, a, a, a product, you know, it's, or to a flower even, it's a several month process and a lot of love and attention goes into that and it has to, um, in order for it to still be medicine. So when you're growing on a huge scale, you can't give those plants the time and the attention that they need. And then once they're harvested, oh, my goodness, like then the way that, um, you know, they're then treated um, is it's, – it's, it's not great when you're doing it on such a huge scale. You know, it's all machinery and, you know, and it's just not how things should be done. Um uh, certainly when it comes to then like medicinal products, you know, so, you know, they're growing it for the flower in a lot of cases, they're growing it for, for, for flower to sell at dispensaries, you know? Um, and then, but then everything else that's not dispensary worthy, they will turn into medicine, oils, um, concentrates, RSO, edibles, you know, and that's, not the best quality stuff to be using for those products that should be medicine. Yeah. So they're using like essentially, you know, like it's just not always the best quality. So when you're growing on a big commercial size scale, I I still can't consider that medicine. No. You know, I believe it still should be grown in smaller areas where people, where it does have the attention put onto it. And then when it goes on in to be processed, that those, the, that then still has the time and the attention put into into the into the plant, you know, and how you're how you're even handling that, you know. So it sounds um, like there's two worlds. One is the the medicine world that you're immersed in, and the other one is I want to be high world. Um, no, not even it's I I would not even say I want to be high world because that world includes many patients. It's yeah. I want to be rich world. Yeah, okay. That's what it is. It's it's investors who are like, great, cannabis is now legal. How can I make money? Yeah. And these people who have the money have no experience in cannabis, have never grown cannabis. In fact, it, one of the one of the uh, companies I recently worked for um, brought in their newest investor uh, to the dispensary. This person had. He was in his 60s, very rich man, had never in his life seen a cannabis plant or even seen cannabis like weed, what you'd consider just weed in a baggie type thing, had never ever even seen that before in his life. And he was an investor to a multi-million dollar cannabis company. 
Yeah, right. These are the people who are involved in cannabis. Yeah. You know, and and not only had he never seen it before, he wasn't even interested in looking at it. It was just about the money. He just had it was just about the money. I I that's that's what the that's what the Australian industry is. That's what very much the commercial recreational industry is here in the states. Um and it's hard because all those investors, like, you know, certainly here in Oregon and in, in many states, you know, obviously it started because, like, the industry started because of the underground, you know, um, black market healers and dealers um, were were growing it and made the industry. And, you know, when it became legal, they were able to get licenses and sort of grow their little businesses and whatever. But because it happened so quickly and obviously investors wanted to get in real quick too, you know, but the investors don't know anything about cannabis. So they just start buying up all these little tiny, you know, independent processes, farms, you know, um, manufacturers, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, then, and, expand them make them much bigger you know and it just it just gets out of control way too quickly and it it goes from it being about medicine and um you know quality patients like the getting quality medicine to patients to Hey, how can we grow this and turn this over as fast as possible? Turn these into med- uh, into into products, get them on the shelves, and make us as much money as possible. Yeah. You know, and and can, it, and it, it just hear the changes so quick. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but it's happening in Australia too, and it just breaks my heart. Like yeah. I just wish that people could understand and fight for it. And I and trust me, like at the same time, like. I, I sit and think about this all the time because I'm like, there are so many issues going on in this world, like and and issues that I want to get involved in, like things that like really mean something to me too. But I'm like, man, I'm just one person, and like the thing that I know best is cannabis, and you know, cannabis as well, you know, veteran health, and you know, all these all these things, but essentially just solely revolve around cannabis. And I'm like, look what the state of where cannabis is in the world like i i'm only one person i can only like really advocate for 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 this you know um and there's also other people out there who who have their thing that they really support and advocate for you know it's really hard to like really get involved in all these big major issues that affect the the world you know and and it not all get you down because even just this one this one thing that's important to me is all consuming, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. So, but you've given yeah. an awesome insight into, you know, for, certainly for Australians that might be listening into what's going on and how yeah. difficult it is. Hopefully. Um, yeah. What yeah. About, and just how expensive it is. Yeah. It's very expensive too. Yeah. Um, what about Michael? Sorry. Are you still in contact with him? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, all the time. Um, He has recently um, put our house on the market because he spent the last 12 months uh, making it like 
completely turning it into a brand new house. It's amazing. Is that in um, Australia or and he's put it on, America? That's in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's in Australia, um, and he's putting that on the market. And he is um, going to be buying some rural property, um, which is something that he's wanted to do for a really long time, um, and to just to really get out into the country with his animals and and just really do his own thing out there, yeah. you know, and not really have to deal with big crowds. And um, what about from his PTSD point of view? Yep. Uh, he, yeah, and, and and I guess that's that's the big thing. He's like he needs he needs to get out of out of the city, um, so that he can just have just not be affected so much by the constant stimulation, um, the overstimulation that the that the cities always cause. Um, and and that you know is even just with traffic on the road and things like that. You know, um, so you know he's he manages his condition all of his conditions like in the same sort of ways that that we did you know he's been taught exceptionally well yeah. <laughs> um and you know and that and that does obviously still include cannabis and it does you know he as much as he can he i know that he tries to eat really well that definitely changes as it does with everybody and the things that are going on in their lives um but he really tries to to be conscious of that um he's very active like in terms of uh getting out into nature um and just making sure that he does have that that time um outside certainly with his animals with our dog kush um and he has several months ago he bought some um cows um which are currently on his parents property which is where he's living at the moment um and so he spends a lot of time out out there like i guess like really trying to tame them he's recently had a a, um, a calf has been born so he's spending a lot of time out there and for him like that's where he needs to be he just needs to be out in nature just yeah when you not, when you say all, that, all, of, all of the things that he's trying to create, it sounds like we all need mm. a bit of that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like the traffic yeah, and the exactly hustle and bustle needs. and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Madness. Yeah, absolutely, mm. absolutely. And you know, like that's certainly what that, that's the life that we tried to create. Like you know, we we lived in a residential area in Brisbane. You know, we tried to create that life because we learnt relatively early on that these are the things that Michael in particular, but people need in order to be healthy and well. Um, and, you know, certainly since, you know, and, and I, and I kind of, I lived that life for, you know, well, near on eight years with, with him. Um, but we were also extremely isolated, even though we lived in a residential area, we were like isolated because, you know, he's a veteran. He didn't go out very much. So even though we did a whole lot of advocacy work and things like that, I mean, we still lived a very isolated life. Now that I live in Portland, it's a much smaller city than, than Brisbane, but I live like basically in the city. I am constantly overstimulated. Yeah. I am constantly inundated with just noise. I like I 
silence, the only time I get silence is the occasional time when I do get to float. Um, there, there is, you just can't escape. You can't escape it. I haven't heard like birds flying around and just chirping or sitting in trees and chirping for months, you know, and it, it does, it, it, it weighs on you after a while. Like kind of gets you a little antsy, you know? Right. And I'm like, Oh God, I need to get out of town. Like, can you like take me out to nature? And I have to get my friends to like take me out somewhere so I can, so I can get put my feet in some water. Maybe in um, some weird you know? way the PTSD is a, is a kind of a gift that, um, it allows people to recognize overstimulation and go, I need to get out. Yes. So certainly for us and for Michael, it absolutely was that. It was. Mm. Uh, and, you know, obviously I, it's, it's so sad that, you know, obviously people have to go through trauma and experience just the worst experiences of their life in order to figure that out. Unfortunately, some people don't ever figure that out. They do experience that and they, and they still can't figure out what sort of what they need because they go down that conventional route and they're told by the doctors and the nurses and the medical professionals that this is what you need. This is what will make you better because the science and the research says this. Yeah, the science and, and the and research just, is flawed. Just take this drug and stay in that fog forever. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We couldn't. We couldn't take. Hmm, we couldn't take that. Um, but more so, I couldn't take that. Um, and I like early, uh, probably about eighteen months into Michael going, like being on that path, I had to put my foot down. I was like, this. This is not work. This is not sustainable. This is not sustainable for you as a human being, your quality of life and how long you're actually going to live for. But it's not sustainable for this relationship. And and for me, you know, I, I just I can't mentally handle this coming home like coming home and not actually knowing the person who I'm going to see coming home. Yeah. You know, um the the you know, he would sometimes just be sitting on the couch. I'd come home. There'd be like a blank screen and he'd be drooling from his mouth, you know, because he it was so mute and just like just off with everything. Like he just, there was just nothing going on and he was so medicated that, that that's all he could do, you know? Yeah. And I was like, well, who is this person? Mm. You know, and then other times he would be, you know, like – totally perfectly fine one minute and completely off the rails literally the next second and you're like what the hell just happened like how has the the switch just flipped like switched like that and it's just changed you know or completely emotional but unable to cry i remember the time like you know, multiple times him saying like he just turned to me he's like it just just peeking out like just like you could, and you can see just like the amount of emotion and just like everything that's going on in him and he was like i need to cry and i can't i was like that's not normal yeah these drugs should not be suppressing the most like the the, the way that we actually like, we need to express emotion we need to cry that's it's so healing to do that you know and 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 he couldn't he just didn't he like they you could see it, it didn't even have that ability to do that you know, 
I can assure you that once he came off those, like the medications, he actually started to experience feelings. He was actually able to feel things and express how he felt about those things. Yeah. And that's healing. Yeah. You need to do that. And we need to encourage men to do that. Mm, Definitely. Probably the majority of the population can understand a broken arm, but they can't understand something going on in the head. Mm -hmm. They they can't see it, so therefore they don't get it. Yep, totally. Totally. And and I, I know this, like... It sounds terrible and it is terrible. I, I can't tell you how many times, like in my frustration, I would say to Michael, like, why couldn't you have like lost an arm or a leg or something? Like, why couldn't you come back injured? You know, because at least, at least people would be able to see your pain and my pain yeah. and our, and like our struggle and how, and how much we like, we're struggling to to deal with these things and, and to live with, you know, not being seen, even though he, he desperately needed to be, he, he needed the help. And they, and, so, and, and, and that's not just with Michael, you know, I, I saw it over with many families of many, with many men and women. Yeah. I have a brother that has PTSD. Young, young and old too. Yeah. Um, he was beaten by yeah. his boss at work. Oh and, my goodness! Uh, he, it, it's so difficult to understand what's going on in his head, but you can. He's definitely not the same person. Yeah, yeah. And I see his wife yeah. like she struggles massively with trying to, mm. like you did. Like how how yes. do I deal with yeah. this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I also see, and I, I feel fairly grateful for this, that it, that, I, that it wasn't Michael, but I've seen in many cases um, that you know PTSD. When a couple of years after sort of Michael came back, there was you know a huge thing with like guys, you know, every, everyone was diagnosed with PTSD. You know, like, like there was all this. Big thing about it, you know, within the military, which, I mean, I'm not doubting the fact that, I mean, they certainly all did and we certainly needed a big push, like, you know, a, a lot more talk about it. Um, but I feel like traumatic brain injuries were then overlooked. And I've, and I've seen in many families over the years where what was originally diagnosed as PTSD a, a psychological condition and they were then treated with a whole of psychiatric medications um, actually turned out to be a traumatic brain injury, um, which I mean, shouldn't, I mean, I mean, it has almost the exact same psychological symptoms and, and, you know, mental health symptoms, you know, it changes the person, the person that you once knew. They're not, they don't deal with things the same way. They, you know, it, it does change the way they operate yeah but it's an actual trauma injury is being treated as though it's a psychological like you know trauma you yeah know, okay psychological issue yeah yeah take this medication and so that's right. something that absolutely mm. yeah as opposed to hey we need to maybe treat the brain a little a little better like i mean don't like flo- floating is great for ptsd but floating is also really great for tbis 
you know? Yeah. Um, certainly cannabis. Cannabis with, funnily enough, high CBD, high amounts of CBD is excellent at protecting the brain and being neuroprotective, you know? But the treatment for a TBI is, you know, neuroprotective, you know, modal things that are going to help protect that, you know, and, and heal the brain as much as you can. Um, not his a Zoloft or a Seroquel because, you, you know, y you could have a psychiatric breakdown, you know, very different. Yeah. I think that you're amazing and uh, that you're really Thanks, brave Anne. to have left Australia and you're over there creating your own business and trying to help people. It's yeah. awesome. Thanks, Ant. I uh, appreciate it. And um, it's Sunday afternoon there for you, so I'm conscious of the fact that I've taken it, up your it, afternoon. Do you know what? It's it's 4.20 <laughs> on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. 4.20 has... Um, you know connotations with with the cannabis definitely with the cannabis scene so yeah, yeah. so i do love that <laughs> yeah that's great and i really hope that we can have another chat soon and you can tell I us love that, a bit more about um what you're actually doing and what's going oh on gosh. over there so and, many things yeah so many things so many things are changing constantly um so yeah i would, I would love to it was so yeah. great chatting to you finally yeah. yeah it's i was i've been really excited and uh, it's great, great to do. It's been so good to talk to you, even though I actually didn't, I didn't actually do allow you to do any talking. But like I said to fan. you, that's not that's <laughs> not my part. <laughs> awesome, it's yeah. been great. All right then, see you later. See ya.